Right, we're continuing our film series, and um, this week I'm going to be talking about The Devil Wears Prada, and I've got my Prada shoes on, so I'm all fit and ready to do this, and more of that later. But for those of you who don't don't know me, it's it's confession time. Uh, My name is Ruth Newton-Jones, I'm a member of the congregation here at Christchurch, And I'm a management consultant who works in the deeply meaningful world of beauty and fashion. Um, When this film was launched a few years back, um, I was working for Christian Dior at the time. And I hired the film and a private cinema to do a sort of a a pre-screening for a sales conference that we had. And um, it was funny because we all laughed at ourselves caricatured in this film and... I'll let you guess who they teased me about being, but I'm fairly sure that not one of us seriously considered that the devil really had anything to do with this film whatsoever, and I am absolutely certain that I never envisaged preaching about it. When we had to choose a film, um, I racked my brains for something highbrow or arty, intellectual and deep. And one day on the way to work, I was praying. I was saying, you know, God, give me a film, you know, put into my mind a film that, that, I could, that I could talk about. And The Devil Wears Prada came stomping into my consciousness. Well, I put it to one side pretty quickly, um, deeming it far too frivolous for such a serious talk. But I was chatting to Kate Fernandes one, uh, one morning after church. And she said, no, you should go for it. You know, if he gave it to you, you should go for it. And so here we are. But I am quite relieved that Nicola preached on Bridget Jones a couple of weeks ago so that we can be chick flick girls together. So sorry, guys. Um, It's another chick flick week. Um, Now, just to have a show, how many people have actually seen the film? Fantastic. Excellent. You are as shallow as I am. Good. (laughs) For those of you who haven't seen it, let me summarize. Um, The setting is in New York. And Andrea Sachs, Andy, is a journalism graduate, and she's hired to work as the second assistant to the all-powerful, sophisticated Amanda Priestley, the editor of Runway magazine. Modelled, so the rumour has it, on Anna Winter, who's the British editor of Vogue in real life. That's my first bit of gossip, but more about gossip later. Miranda is completely ruthless and must surely be a contender for the bitchiest boss in the world. Andy really only wants the job to pay the rent while she finds her way as a journalist. However, bit by bit, she gets sucked into the runway world and the stylist Nigel helps her on her way to look the part. Day by day, she changes She adapts her behavior to become the perfect assistant. And as she works harder and harder with this goal in mind, this ultimately affects her private life and her relationships. And Andy finally learns that life is about choices. And she has to decide what is really important to her and what is not. And I hope I'll be able to illustrate today how important it is for us to make the right choice. Let's take a look now at the naive young Andy, the world in which she works, and the beginnings of her transformation. Hi, 
Hi. Uh, I have an appointment with Emily Charlton. Andrea Sachs? Yes? Great. Human resources certainly has an odd sense of humor. <laughs> Follow me. Okay, so I was Miranda's second assistant, but her first assistant recently got promoted, and so now I'm the first. Oh, and you're replacing yourself. Well, I am trying. Miranda sacked the last two girls after only a few weeks. We need to find someone who can survive here. Do you understand? Yeah, of course. Who's Miranda? Oh, my God. I will pretend you did not just ask me that. She's the editor-in-chief of Runway, not to mention a legend. You work a year for her, and you can get a job at any magazine you want. A million girls would kill for this job. Oh, boy. It sounds like a great opportunity. I'd love to be considered. <laughs> Andrea, Runway is a fashion magazine, so an interest in fashion is crucial. What makes you think I'm not interested in fashion? I just have to stick it out for a year. One year. And then I can do what I came to New York to do. But I can't let Miranda get to me. I won't. Easy there, Tiger. Oh, good morning, Miranda. Let me Isaac. Nigel. 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 No. I don't know what you expect me to do. There's nothing in this whole closet that'll fit a size six, I can guarantee you. Those are all sample sizes, two and four. All right, we'll turn this for you. And... A poncho. You'll take what I give you and you'll like it. We're doing this Dolce for you. Hmm. And shoes. Jimmy Choo. Mm. And Olivonic. Nancy Gonzalez, love that. Okay, nice to see you. This we love. Uh, it might fit. It might. Okay, now Chanel, you're in desperate need of Chanel. Darling, shall we? We have to get to the beauty department, and God knows how long that's going to take. Hmm. I mean, I have no idea why Miranda hired her. Me neither. The other day we were in the beauty department, and she held up the shoe and wore eyelash curler and said, What is this? <laughs> I just knew from the moment I saw her, she was going to be a complete and utter disaster. Miranda Priestley's office? No, actually, she's not available, but I'll leave word. Okay, thanks. Bye. Are you wearing the, sh the Chanel boots? Yeah, I am. You look good. Oh. What? Oh, shut up, Serena. Well, I have to say that watching that does not make me proud of the world that I used to work in, but I do miss the wardrobe. Now you've seen something of the Prada side of the story. Where's the devil in all of this? The first point I'd like to make is that the devil doesn't necessarily announce and introduce himself. He did when he tempted Jesus in the desert, but not when he practically destroyed Job. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been aware of the devil working in your life? Did he announce himself to you? Or were you rather like Andrea, sucked into a world you didn't want to be a part of? Did he creep up stealthily 
and somehow get you to do something you didn't want to do or say something you know you shouldn't have? Did you realize it was happening? Or like Andrea, did you somehow, over a period of time, change your value set, your moral compass, your inner heart? Having watched the film a few times now, I was particularly struck by the verbal swords that strike again and again. Many of them are very amusing, provided, of course, you're not on the receiving end. And the devil often tempts us in very simple ways. He starts on the lowest rung of the ladder and then climbs up, dragging us behind him. He might start by encouraging us to speak ill of others, to swear, to gossip to bitch and moan about our work colleagues or friends. And how easy it is to fall into this trap, to feel as if you're more part of the gang, the in-crowd, by joining in the gossip at the lunch table, the school gate, the pub after work. But God knows how destructive this can be, and the Bible has very clear things to say about what we say. In Ephesians 4.29... Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Those girls evidently hadn't read that passage, had they? Or Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified... And by your words, you will be condemned. It's quite scary. I know that I can have a rather sharp sense of humor. I know also that my sense of humor doesn't have the same effect on everyone. And that I can sometimes cause offense with or without meaning to. I have to make sure I make a real effort, particularly in the office environment, not to be the bitchy one passing comment. Because if I do, then the whole culture of the office could change to become similar to that of the runway office, where how you look matters more than how you behave and work. Back to the film. As Andy begins to play and indeed look the part of the perfect assistant, it becomes all-consuming and encroaches on her private life. She can't have dinner with her father without being interrupted by phone calls from Miranda demanding the impossible. And she even misses her very patient boyfriend's birthday party. Boy, I'm sorry. Can you go any faster? Uh, I'm sure Nate will understand. trying to leave, but there's a lot going on, and, you know, I didn't have a choice. Don't worry about it. I'm go to bed. Can we at least talk about this?
look really pretty. Let me ask, how many of us have been in that situation where some work commitment has meant that we've missed something important in our personal lives? I know I have. Looking back, was it worth it? Trust me, your kids will remember if you missed a school play, or a friend will remember if you missed their birthday dinner. But I'll bet your boss won't remember that you worked late that night. And what of Miranda? Has she really got it all? She's certainly revered and admired by many, but at what cost? She works all the hours that God sends. Her family life is a mess, and she's got more than a few divorces on her scorecard. Everyone is petrified of her, and she appears to have no real friends or social life outside work. She may well be talented, but she also takes power and progression by doing others down. And she lives in a world where lying and taking all the glory are second nature. Do you live in a world like this at work? I did for a while. This is very much my world. Do you have any bosses that have a touch of the Miranda about them? Or are you the boss? And if so, what culture do you choose to create in the office environment? Remember, as Christians, we can and should influence our environment. So we've seen something of the Prada side of the film. And we've seen something of how the devil works. He infiltrates life wherever you are. He wears an apron if you're a chef, jeans and a t-shirt if you're in the uni library. He pushes a buggy at the school gates, wears a suit and tie if you're a banker, has a spade in his hand down at the allotment D. And he wears Prada if you work in the world of fashion. He is everywhere and we must not underestimate his power and his disguise. But if he is everywhere, what can we do to protect ourselves? How can we be on guard? How should we be on guard? How can we fight against the devil and all his guises? And this is where our Bible passage today comes in to help us. Paul says that we need to put on this full armor of God every day of the week, even if it does take a bit longer to get dressed in the morning. The image is of a typical armed Roman soldier preparing for battle wearing a breastplate made of bronze or chainmail attached to a thick belt. All the pieces of armor in our passage belong to God and come from him. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. The readiness that comes from the gospel at your feet. The shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit. They're all designed to help us stand against the schemes of the devil. What's interesting is that we're instructed to put on this armor, which implies that Paul knows that we don't automatically wear it all the time. Putting on the armor of God requires a decision on our part. Once again, we have to choose. So how exactly do we put on this metaphorical armor? How do we seek God and his righteousness above all else? Well, 
I guess we put on his armour by reading and knowing the Bible, through regular prayer, by developing Christian friendships with people to whom we can be accountable, going to church as we're here today, attending home groups in many, many different ways. Do we have on his armour today? Do you put it on every day? Or do you, like me, just wear it from time to time? If we want to make sure we're always protected, we need to make that choice. We need to get into the habit of putting it on consciously every single day. Going back to the film, Andy ultimately had to make a choice. Is this the life she really wants? Yeah, sure, it's glamorous, but also rather superficial and even morally dubious. What choice does she make? And I was very, very impressed by how intently you tried to warn me. I never thought I would say this, Andre. But I really... I see a great deal of myself in you. You can see beyond what people want and what they need, and you can choose for yourself. I don't think I'm like that. I... I couldn't do what you did to Nigel Miranda. I couldn't do something like that. Mm. You already did. No, that, that was different. I didn't have a choice. Oh, no, you chose. You chose to get ahead. You want this life? Those choices are necessary. But what if this isn't what I want? I mean, what if I don't want to live the way you live? Oh, don't be ridiculous, Andrea. Everybody wants this. Everybody wants to be us. say that when I said it was my world, I didn't have the paparazzi waiting for me every time I got out of a car. I had the wardrobe, but not the paps. To summarize, it's very easy to get sucked in by the devil to a life that is not honorable to God. 
In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that we are not to be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. He's out there in our workplaces, in our sports clubs, in our bars, in our schools and our universities. We need to be alert and ready to defend ourselves. We need to be aware and to arm ourselves accordingly. And I'd love to say this is easy, but it really isn't. It's hard work. But in every decision, in every action we take, there is a choice to be made. And the more conscious we are about putting on the armor of God each and every day, the better equipped we will be to resist the devil's temptation and to make the right choice. Let us pray. Lord, I just pray that you will equip us, each and every one of us, to fight against the forces of evil that we encounter every day. Lord, guide us to make the right choices. Remind us to put on your armor and give us strength to resist temptation and to seek your righteousness above all else. Amen.